we warned you that we're starting a series, and, and warn is the right word for it, because this is going to be heavy lifting. We want you to have your Bibles, we want you to be listening, tuned in, we want you to bring in friends, but make sure they hear the first one too. Today, the heavy lifting begins. Have a look at this. Turn on the television, turn on the radio, open up social media, and you'll be confronted with incredible tales of crisis. In every age, in every culture, humanity has been at a crossroads. You cannot find a culture or an age where people said, you know, pretty good. They were always in crisis. It's what we do. Crisis is our norm. Those who adapt, engineer, think, and respond with wisdom and sweat tend to survive the crisis. Those who don't, don't. I believe a case could be made that we are most comfortable in crisis. The old American cowboy movies would always have that line, it's too quiet. We have that fear. If we have a beautiful warm day next week, let's say, People say, oh, we're going to pay for this this next summer. You have to have a crisis. You cannot enjoy it. You have to find a way to turn it into a crisis. We are very, very comfortable. Therefore, we have to create tales of crisis. A Swedish socialist who works for the UN named Hans Rosling wrote an amazing book last year, or maybe two years ago, I read it last year, called factfulness. It's a made-up word, but look it up. He takes a look at every single metric we can find. The freedom of women, freedom of girls going to school, access to health care, war, poverty, the, uh, option, uh, access to options in the way we uh, have our occupations. Every single metric he found, life is getting better rapidly worldwide. And not just a bit, stunningly fast, it's getting better. A prominent atheist named Michael Shermer wrote an amazing book called The Moral Arc to show in stark facts and figures that humanity thinks everything is worse when in fact by every measurement he could find, humanity is kinder, less violent, more caring and sharing than it has ever been in recorded history. So why are we constantly terrified? Well, I think some of this can be put down to media and to politicians fear-mongering. It is much easier to get people to give you power and money if they're afraid. And if they look upon you as a new Moses that can lead them out of whatever current crisis they have told you about. And so we have commercials about buying gold. We have commercials about your money's going to run out. We have commercials telling us no matter what you do, your retirement's going to be awful. And then it goes on. There'll be drugs, drugs advertised with 30, 40 side effects listed. But you don't really pay attention to that because there's a drug name and the people are having a picnic. How hard can it be? We consider ourselves to have a crisis in education no matter what's going on. When we always have a crisis with the other, the other. It might be the other 
as a different colored person or a person that votes for a different party or perhaps it is a person that has a different religion or maybe it's a different idea within the same religion but whatever it is we find an other to fear and to justify being in crisis i was asked recently in a gathering why are we so fearful and my response is because we are so comfortable think about it there aren't a whole lot of children in south sudan right now concerned about what's going on in washington dc or concerned about who worships what god they're just trying to live another hour but we are so comfortable we have to create crises i spend a great deal of time with this subject it is perhaps my specialty in neuroscience when i'm working with law enforcement that has been the most requested statement uh, rather um theme over the last two years and i was i've gotten calls again this week could i come for this state police training could i come for this and help them understand how we live in a culture where everybody they meet has already been told everything's in crisis and you should be terrified so i go and i do it part of this though it's not politics or media part of its biology and chemistry because we were created and wired by god to live in a much more dangerous world than the world in which we live where the rustle in the grass was most likely a lion or a snake we don't even go there They're, they don't make our top 10 rustle in the grass we don't even pay attention to the grass we have earbuds in we're safe we don't think about it i don't uh, i had a neighbor tell us you might want to just keep watch over here because uh on our border of our property we live quite close it's right there the their uh, their babysitter saw a copperhead i paid attention saw snake grabbed a hoe killed it we didn't have cable for a week but that's not the point <laughs> the point is we manufacture things to be afraid of because our biology does this we were told we, we for thousands of years we would gather around the campfire at night and we didn't have to talk about scary stories that were made up about heads and hooks and, and cars and hitchhikers no we talked about the real things that were out there and the dangers so that the community could learn from them we didn't talk about how pretty the sunset was we talked about the danger and it kept us alive but we now live in a different world than our wiring was built for and our world is changing faster than our wiring suicide is now the number one cause of death worldwide in the 10 to 30 year bracket when i work with law enforcement officers i talk to them yes indeed you have some real issues coming at you you've got some people that are gunning for police officers i get it but you need to remember this that for every police officer federal state local county who is killed in the line of duty by any weapon a car whatever it is for every one seven commit suicide we have a bigger problem than people not liking police we have to figure out what's gone wrong in our minds the fact is most people don't commit suicide because their reality is so terrible some do 
and that must be acknowledged. They commit suicide because they've lost their purpose. They have no sense of meaning, no sense of place. They have no anchor, no center. So why be here? And in fact, our culture pushes this idea. You see, we, we might be, we might have a problem with being this comfortable. We are by far the richest, healthiest, best fed, safest generation in history. Just an example of this. If you're thinking, what about the shootings? You know about the shootings, that's very true. And there are gun sites, anti-gun sites and like that fight each other. One very, very prominent one that is, that is paid for by a very prominent politician. I don't want to name names because then you're going to think I'm going political. Here, I just want to make a point. Said that last year there were 335 mass shootings. Go to the FBI website. Six. Somebody's lying to you. Somebody wants you afraid. We need to open our eyes and realize that while we are the best medicated, most fed, best fed, safest generation in history, somebody wants us terrified. They'll even go further and they'll tell you that you mean nothing. That you are merely the random result of a far long ago explosion in the emptiness of space. You have no meaning. You're just a collection of dust from the explosion. The universe doesn't know you. The universe doesn't care about you. It doesn't care you're here. It won't miss you when you are gone. Carl Sagan said that. They'll go further and say, there's, there's no God, no morality, no ultimate right or wrong. And facts, who needs facts? Facts can be bent at will. Really. Even a famous liberal who is socialist in her, um, uh, her policies, J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter books, recently got attacked worldwide on social media canceled, they call it, kept from speaking to her friends at, at friends' events because she had the temerity to say there are two genders. That's a fact. We can talk about intersex and dysphoria. Those are real things. And we can talk about those, the gradations from norm, but there, every cell in your body is either male or female. There's a mark in it. But you're not allowed to say it so what, what are you if you can't say male, female? What, what is your identity? Well, our culture only values the rich, famous, and powerful. So best of luck. The pathways to rich, famous, and powerful are very limited. Normally, it's limited to the beautiful, the talented, and the very lucky. Since my wife and I moved here, by the way, this, is, uh, this Sunday is six years. This is the six-year anniversary of my first Sunday with you. And you've been a blessing to us. You really have been. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you didn't vote for six years. You, you just lost your bet, whatever it is. But we, we, are, we are so blessed every time we come in this room. And if, I, if we have blessed you at all, you have blessed us more. It's not the point I want to get to here, though. We are now living in a place where there's a lot of music. And when we walk downtown Nashville and South Broadway, we hear playing for pennies people that are better than you hear 
on radio and at, on The Voice and on the old American Idol show, you, you, it, the amount of luck involved is almost unmeasurable. Sports, m music, movies become famous, but at the same time, we attack the famous because they're wealthy. They must have earned their money badly. Although most millionaires actually started with nothing. I don't, by the way, I, it doesn't bother me if somebody's a billionaire. They didn't come take my money. There are evil billionaires. There are evil thousandaires. There are evil poverty heirs. Evil is not a respecter of persons or bank balances. You can find evil in every community. But then when... Just when you start to get that around your head, we're told it doesn't matter. Anyway, young people, the world won't be here for you. It's going to flame out or burn out in 5 years, 10 years, 12 years, 20 years, whatever it's going to be. We're also told, rather we're not told, that that has been a prediction throughout all history. It's always been there. There are people that have done the math and the history of this. I, and by the way, some, immediately there are going to be some people putting some guards up. Are you saying we're not warming up? No, I'm not doing that at all. What I'm saying is, check who's getting the data. And then check what data they're getting. It's very important. Uh, figures don't lie, but liars figure all the time. And even, even if all global warming is being man-made, we've been pretty good at engineering solutions. If you let us loose. If you don't make us terrified and say it doesn't matter anymore because it won't be here, it is too late. So why are 10 to 30-year-olds committing suicide? They're never going to have value in culture because they're not going to be rich, famous, and powerful. They're not going to have the American dream, whatever that is. The world's going to be gone anyway. The debt's out of control. By the way, I'm... I wouldn't disagree with that either. And then, you're nothing anyway. You're just an accident. There is no God, no right or wrong. What's the point of living? And that's why most pull the trigger. They, they frame it a different way. I've, I've talked to, I don't, I could not even guess the number of law enforcement officers who have said, I arrested the same guy four, five, six, twelve times. What's the point? And then when I go home, my marriage is in trouble because of the hours I work. I'm starting to drink more because I don't understand what the point of it all is. One recent seminar I did in Rifle, Colorado, we, we knew it was going to be rough going in. So we had men there and women there in blue polo shirts that were trained to intervene. Because during the seminar, we knew some would become triggered and they emotionally need support. And we'd say, get to the blue shirts. They're here for you. They're also law enforcement. They're also shrinks. They're, they're going to help you somehow get through this. People are lost. People fear that the, the future holds nothing but loneliness, illness, economic and climatic collapse. And then the world tells us when all the millennials and under have absorbed this, that we're supposed to make fun of the millennials. The world wants us at war with each other, with ourselves. Now you know why suicide is the leading cause of death among so many segments of our population. 
it doesn't matter that the facts say that we should be rejoicing. We cower in fear because we have been told that we should. And that fear is the only proper reaction one can have to what we see before us. But I say no. I believe that God created us. And that changes everything. And if that doesn't throw chills up and down your spine, you need to start paying closer attention. There's another story to be heard. Once created, God placed us in this place, this garden. And he gave us a job. He told us, take care of it. Guard it. Make this safe place and wonderful place safe and wonderful for those who come behind you. That's your job. Genesis 1, 27 to 30. So God created mankind in his own image. The only thing he ever did in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant, plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours. And it will go on from there. But I, there we go. Yours for food, the beasts of the air, all the birds. This is yours. I give this to you. And the word subdue and rule bothers some folk because they mean, does that mean you can just rape the land? No, subdue and rule, when they're used in other contexts in the Old Testament, mean to guard, protect, manage, explore. We are born explorers. Look at little kids. That may be food. I want to touch this. I now need to lick this. I want to smell the other. We are born explorers. And God says, good, get out there, manage what I gave you. Make it better. Psychologists and sociologists are in general agreement that we need at least three things to prosper. Emotionally, psychologically. Meaning, responsibility, and intimacy. Meaning, responsibility, and intimacy. And what did God do? He gave you meaning. You are a spirit. That God then wrapped in a, in a woven beautiful cloth of stardust. And then breathed into you a soul. How much more meaning do you want? He gave us responsibility. Take care of this place. And have it nice for the ones who come behind you. And then intimacy. I want to live with you, he said. And in fact... The first humans could look forward to the evening when God would come and walk with them through the garden. Something which Christians can have at any moment, anywhere, even in a war zone. Because he will not leave us and will be there. Well, what are we going to do? The devil has filled our heads with static. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten what we are. And when we talk about meaning, responsibility, and intimacy, we confuse all that with success, jobs, and sex. This is so much deeper. So to help us, we're going to go to a very strange book. Ecclesiastes. Are you ready? The lifting begins. The words of the teacher, the Kohelet. 
son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless. By the way, most of the older versions say empty. Some of them say vanity, which is an old way of using the word. Forget that one. Empty or meaningless. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teachers. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This, I mean, come on people, this is heavy lifting. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The moon, uh, I'm sorry, the wind, I didn't, not the moon yet. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea's never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can look? Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Ooh. Everybody feeling okay? <laughs> you will be forgiven if you wonder why a book like this is even in the Bible. It certainly does not read like a book of the Bible we think should read about hope and Jesus and and he, our Messiah, saving us from all of the evil in the world. But it is a book that confronts us with the reality that we really must confront. If you are trying to find your meaning by using measuring sticks found on this planet, you will fail because you are not of this world. You are the only thing in the world that is not of the world. You are stardust. You are spirit into which God personally breathed a living soul. When the apostles were locked in an upper room, locked in fear, locked in desperation, locked in depression, Jesus walked into the room and breathed on them and said peace you cannot measure yourself by this world it is ill prepared to help you with the why you're here who you are what will become of us the earth can't tell us but they the, the earth tries and we constantly fall for the devil's tall tales i can remember we were in we were in the stateside and um, at the elementary school, whatever grade they put me in, they, they introduced us to American literature through American tall tales. You know, Paul Bunyan and, and all the other, and, and Mike Fink and the like. And I was amazed at the tall tales. They were obviously untrue, but really cool. The devil has taught me that we still believe those tall tales. We thought we would be happier when we got more than two or three television stations kids yes there was one such a dark time could have been worse you could have been British one of them would have been BBC 2 cricket cricket look it up on YouTube it's better than any sleeping aid cricket 
we thought we'd be happy. We thought we'd be happy when we get a new car. We thought we'd be happy when we upgraded our phones. But the world kept aging, and so did we. And the world keeps yelling at you. We are not, never allowed to stay happy where we are. No, we're told, no, 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 no. You don't matter yet. Your life is not successful yet. You cannot be happy yet. You need more of what has never, ever worked before. World stuff. World success. World fame. It has never worked, and yet, what is the only solution the world offers you? More of the same. When are we going to quit? When are we going to quit listening to this? We are going to pour over this book. After we get out of there, we're going to slide into a Job. We're going to get to Revelation eventually. Unless the Lord comes back, he might get tired of this too. <laughs> but invite people to join us. There is an epidemic of angst. Especially among us, the prosperous ones. The ones who are not really concerned about our doors being kicked in by the government with bayonets. We, we're, we don't know, we may not know what we're going to eat today, but we all know we're going to. So the devil has to find a way to keep us off of balance and keep us afraid. So we need to answer the big questions that are found in this book. And your friends need these answers too. This is going to be unlike any other series that you've studied because we're going to be very brutal about this. For you cannot understand the who and the why of us until you can understand the who and the why of the one, capital O, who reached in from outside of that cosmic web and placed you. And we will never see you again. This combination of DNA will not exist again in this universe or in alternative multiverses, which there's no evidence for, but it's still a hoot to think about. You will not arrive in any of those. You are here. But let's not rush there. We tend to do that, don't we? We miss such drama and nuance in Scripture because we rush to get to the moral at the end. Every time there's a Bible story, and it starts, we think, and I know how this goes, and I understand the point. Therefore, you miss all the nuance, all the drama, all the mystery, all of the crushing, terrifying bits in between. We even think about grace that way. We used to really teach. We never, I, I don't think we ever said it, but we used to act like we were saved by absolute perfection in worship and doctrine and by our works. And again, we didn't, I don't think we ever said that, but it, that's certainly the impression we got, isn't it? And so then we started talking about grace and what do people do? <laughs> All the way to the other side. To antinomianism, it's called acting as if there is no law. I don't believe you can understand grace before you understand the terrifying, horrifying reality of sin. Because if you don't think about the sin and you just grab the grace, it becomes a cheap grace. And brothers and sisters, grace is a love letter 
written in somebody else's blood. This is serious. If there is no God, if there's only us, then what is the point? Look at the rest of this passage in Ecclesiastes. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore. See, we are explorers. By wisdom, all that is done under the heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. The chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. Let's just take that as given, all right? I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. I'll stop there. C.S. I'm going to come back to it. C.S. Lewis would not read newspapers because he says, they tell me of pain, struggles, and problems that I have no power to change. I want you to think about that. Remember I wrote a couple of e-blasts ago, knowledge is like a circle. It borders what you do not know. As you gain in knowledge, you become aware of much more that you do not know. The more you know, the more you understand that you do not know. That's what he is saying. With wisdom, there comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So, we're going to go on a journey. Don't stop here. If you stop here, you're where the world is. And now you understand where the world is. But we're not world. We're not grass. We're not oxen. We're not a brook. We're going to go on a journey. Mark, would you bring the rest of the team up? We're going to go on a journey to see if there's anything out there that can satisfy us other than God. Spoiler alert, there isn't. But we're going to make the journey anyway. Ecclesiastes makes us confront what we already know. But we're pretending and acting and playing as if we don't know. And that is, without God, we are empty. We are souls that know that there must be more, but we don't know how to find the more. We are stardust wrapping a spirit, lost in the universe until we find our place. Would you stand, please? Empty. Empty is a very dangerous place to be. That is why before we continue this journey, we are asking that the empty place be filled with the Spirit of God. Sing with us.